0: Hey, everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve.
1: Hey, flap away, chatters, flap away.
0: <laughs> Today, we are talking Memento Mori The Fathomless Shadows by Brian Hauser. Uh, Hauser. Published... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is uh, published by Word Horde. <laughs> yes. And you have to say it just like that. You have to say Word Horde."
1: Yes. Um, our friends at Word Horde in Petaluma, California. California.
0: Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, this is a brand new novel. Uh, it is Hauser's first novel. Right. And hopefully we are pronouncing Brian's name correctly how
1: else do you pronounce Hausa
0: <laughs> I don't know there could be more you talking ways? about Brian because his yeah. real name is brain
1: <laughs> and we're and we're dyslexic
0: he has a mouse in a giant robotic suit <laughs> brain Hausa <Howza. laughs> yes this is a uh... we're here all week ladies and gentlemen that's right don't forget to tip your waitresses on the way out yeah Last night, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. What he was doing in my pajamas, I'll never know. This is a, a story that is kind of adjacent to the King and Yellow. It's not specifically a King and Yellow story. Yeah,
1: last week we covered another King and Yellow story, and it's um, inadvertent. We're not like on some King and Yellow theme or anything. We just happened to get this arc, and the book is coming out um as we speak by the time this comes out the book will be out right yes we're close enough for rock and roll
0: uh, i believe this will actually appear the day after yeah so we just wanted to you know get the get the review
1: up and it just so happens that um wow it's King Yellow.
0: yeah um Thanks for telling everyone how the sausage was made because, you know, we're supposed to be like, yeah, these guys are on theme. They're on point, man. They're getting us all king and yellowed up in the previous episode. Now we have no idea what we're doing. Everything's just a coincidence. There's
1: no sausage
0: because we're vegan. (laughs) (laughs) Speak for yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm not even speaking for me. It's what we do. (laughs) I just thought that, you know. I'd jump on the bandwagon of, of people who get complained about for saying what they do yeah, or not do because, you know, it <laughs> infringes on other people's shit, you know, because vegans are always being, you know, shot down for saying they're vegan as if they have to tell everybody, I guess that happens. Right. So there you go.
0: I that, That's I that's like a, a thing,
1: right? That's a, what the, it's a like a modern day meme that uh, are obnoxiously vegan.
0: Uh, uh, maybe I uh, I don't know. I stopped it's, paying attention. hasn't hasn't
1: really been my experience that that happens, but it's a thing, right? So,
0: but this book is not about being
1: vegan. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know because there's no meat uh, being eaten. In this book, so it could have hidden vegan themes.
0: You no, know, could now now that you mentioned that, that does give a kind of a interesting segue into the book because I don't recall anyone eating except maybe one time. Uh, someone went and got some sandwiches. Uh, so Memento Mori, to get to get to the point, Memento Mori is a Kind of a, a, a book within a book uh, we, we are given an introduction That gives us kind of a framing story About this author Whom I assume is a fictionalized Version of uh, Hauser How's Hauser uh, Stumbling you know, Looking into the disappearance Of uh, an author Of a zine From the 90s Or in the 90s I believe yeah a, a a riot girl horror fan you know and it's been ages since i've heard the term riot girl and it, i always like i always liked that phrase g-r-r-l right. yes
1: uh but but everyone's seen these zines i mean they used to have zines for everything and mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. they were like rock and roll zines horror zines um Sci-fi, sci-fi zines, role-playing zines.
0: Right. It's it's pretty much in you know, an underground magazine put together by fandom in order to uh, you know, in the days before social media and the days before yeah. the internet. Bef- before the internet killed everything. Right. And these things were a lot of people's first experience at graphic design. You would, you cut out your articles and paste them up and then photocopy them and then make copies of that, of that master copy. And yeah, a, a lot of the zines book.
1: had like a, uh, even if they weren't associated with it, a lot of the zines had a punk rock aesthetic about mm-hmm. it because it was very do it yourself. Oh, it was yes. uh, photocopies and Xeroxes with cutouts. Like you said, um run at your kinkos, run off at Kinkos. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know this is before the times of cheap ink and and home printers. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Go down or or hell, go down to your public library, make a copy for five cents a page. <laughs> right. So um
1: so th- there apparently there was this zine in in, in book and howza is uh, doing a piece on the author of the scene. Cause she's disappeared and he's right. trying to like figure out what happened to her and um, what happened to the mysterious. I think it was like the fourth issue, fifth, fifth issue that never got, never saw print.
0: Mm-hmm. And in investigating this, he uh, goes to visit the girl's parents. Her name was uh, Billy. I don't remember her last name, but her first name was Billy uh, goes to visit her, goes to visit her parents uh, her mother lets lets him into the room. Uh, he goes through, and he's, like, digging through her stuff. And he's, you know, it's like, oh, I really don't think I should be digging through their stuff. But, you know, there's, there could be a story here. Uh, starts going through the closet, finds, you know, several assorted things, and then finds a secret hidden area within the closet under a like floorboard. Like you do. Because uh, everyone you know, has one of
1: those. I have one.
0: That's right, man. I stash <laughs> shit in my closets all the time. I, I have I have six completed novels buried in the floorboards here, waiting for somebody to, you know, care enough if I disappear to come and look. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just keep my opium in them. Well, we, we're we yeah, we're not talking about that. <laughs> uh so in, inside this is like a file and in 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 the file is the uh completed layout copy of the missing issue mm-hmm. and and this
1: is why it's not a spoiler alert to say king in yellow because mm. you get the text of that so it starts off with like this this search for this author and mm-hmm. her uh and her her lost zine then you get the the contents of the zine itself right Right. so that's the next level in
0: that's the next level in um one thing i would like to note and i don't know if it's going to be you know if it's a you know possibility or whatnot or if this is how the physical copy is going to come out but being that the this issue of the zine is written uh, in the book itself proper since since these pages exist as photographs, it would be interesting to have them visually represented on the page, kind of like the between chapter materials in the Watchmen collection, uh, yeah, like, like that, like
1: a different font or to make it look like it was a zine.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, instead
1: of trying uh, to you know, t- just... t- give it like a little uh, verisimilitude,
0: right, right, yeah, exactly, exactly, kind of a little bit more immersion in the story. Uh turns out that uh, Billy had met, uh, uh, well, recalls in the zine, uh, watching cable access television and seeing an incident involving uh, Tina Mori, and that's that's very important, okay. uh, and that she he discovers that she had, that Billy had struck up this friendship with another writer. Uh, named CeCe Waite. CeCe Waite wrote the biography or the memoir of Tina Mori called Memento Mori. Right. I'm wondering if CC uh, is related to the Weights from the previous Word
1: Horde book we had read.
0: Probably. I don't know. It, it's probably just kind of there to evoke that uh, right. kind of connection. Uh, yes, because. The... Go ahead. To...
1: And then I was going to say what you're about to say. So just continue
0: on. Yeah. That connection to the, the wider mythos, which makes all this kind of an adjacent mythos, adjacent story. Right.
1: It's an evocative name Mm -hmm. in terms of, um, Lovecraft and Alia.
0: Right. Right. Um, so after discovering this Hauser, the fictional Hauser, uh, is contacted by the original publisher of Memento Mori and wants to publish a new edition with this newfound material kind of as a front matter. Right. And once, once this introduction is over, we jump right into this latest edition of Memento Mori and we follow the adventures of CC Wait right. and her meeting and, uh, trials uh, and tribulations with <laughs> Tina Mori. Yeah. Um road dogging it with Tina Mori. Yeah, kind of, kind of. You know, and it, it begins in such a way it's like, you know, everybody's got that friend in college, you know, we we discuss this that guy. Yeah, the
1: Omari Cat.
0: Right, Omari <laughs> Cat. Uh who kind of just sweeps into your life and changes everything and walks right back out again without a trace without a trace. And Tina mori is that kind of person, although she ran with CC Wait for a long time, but you know, it's like when you first meet Tina Mori you know, as well as CC weight does that, you know, her life is about to change forever. Yes. And it does. Um, CC weight a- as a character is, in my mind, the world's most timid psychonaut. (laughs) Um, yeah, she's an ethnobotanist. Ethnobotanist. She's, uh, Carlos Castaneda. (laughs) Well, yeah,
1: I, I, when I think of, um, ethnobotany, I think more along lines of the serpent in the rainbow. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, someone who, who is, um, actually an ethnobotanist, not a, Fictionalized ethnobotanist.
0: <laughs> well, we're talking about a fictionalized ethnobotanist. That's true. <laughs> so, but uh, if there are eth-
1: ethnobotanists out there, right? And and they're not always like um,
0: altered states, right? Um,
1: you know, based characters.
0: Well, I mean, this is the seventies when this takes place, so college the 1970s I think Summer of the rainbow took place in the 70s too uh possibly it's been a while since i've
1: seen that movie well it's actually based on um a, like a real s- series of events mm-hmm. so that is the fictionalized account of um of wade davis's um adventures ah. in, uh, in haiti but there's actually um, there's actually you know an academic book as well that, that goes along with it that talks about um, the scientific findings mm. of way Davis and uh, and ha- and how um, culture um, superstition mythology and um, biology all come together to to form like the zombie myth mm so it's an actual thing like it, right it, that's not fiction well the serpent in the rainbow is but not the zombies the research yeah not the actual research that happened so there are ethnobot like i said there are ethnobotanists out there who aren't um you know also taking, pe- taking peyote and right and pretending to be spiritual
0: right well cc wait is the type of ethnobotanist who uh is is kind of epicurean in her approach. Uh, <laughs> she she is uh engaging in the study of this uh simply to also expand her breadth of experiences. Right. And when we meet her, she is tripping.
1: Yeah, I mean she definitely
0: is a college student. Right. Right. And
1: which is I'm why sure she,
0: which is why I called her a psychonaut first. Well, I'm sure she probably had a
1: bunch of Carlos Castaneda lying around.
0: Yeah. Because
1: I mean that's that's how it works, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, pretty much everybody I know who was that age in the 70s had it laying around <laughs> Or even the 80s for that matter. That's
1: right. She she took her uh, coffee table edition and used it to uh Use it to um, cure her pot. Take the seeds (laughs) out.
0: Yep. Uh, Tina Mori, on the other hand, comes to the school. uh, S-U-N-Y. Which is the... SUNY uh, State University of New York. Okay, thank you. Uh, This is the Redstone Campus. Fictional campus. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So There's no Redstone Campus. It's a fictional campus. Right.
1: Okay. Um, but this is the upper, up, way upstate, almost on the border of Canada.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, way out in the middle of nowhere.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely up there.
0: Hmm. Tina Mori is there on uh, the music program. She is a gifted pianist. Yes. And um. they meet. And it's, the, the whole awkwardness of the meeting is kind of glossed over. But mm-hmm. it, do, it does start as kind of an awkward meeting, and then later it comes out to some some real, you know, beginning of the, the journey together kind of bonding experience.
1: Yeah, the long and short of it is they um, become fairly intimate friends. Right. Um, and that Tina Mora, you come to find out, doesn't really want to be a pianist. Uh, she's much more interested in and filmmaking, right? There's no filmmaking program at this particular campus,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: but there is a school down the road that right. does have a filmmaking program. So she starts stalking teachers at that school.
0: Right? She starts <laughs> stalking teachers. She uh, she finds a prof- the address of a professor at this other school who teaches uh, you know the film program, and. Jack's a camera out of his living room.
1: Yes. And it's a very special camera. It's a, um, off-brand Russian, uh, super eight camera.
0: Right. With those so, no lights out guerrilla cinema. Right. So she, she, you're, you're exactly right. In effect,
1: she becomes like this guerrilla filmmaker. Uh, she learns, you know, by on her own, how to um, how to edit and process film and all that stuff.
0: Right, and 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 uses really her own kind of uh, her own eye to to frame shots and things like this. And 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 we get uh, Hauser is also a filmmaker, so we get a little bit of how the sausage is made regarding uh, guerrilla guerrilla cinema, guerrilla vegan cinema. There you go again. It's what right. we do. It's what we do. Um,
1: so she has talent, uh, she, and the other thing is, uh, she is involved with some weird, shady people. Mm. Yes. So you you get this. I, I don't want to. We don't want to. Like you should read the book, so we don't want to spoil events. Mm-hmm. But there is a point where. You don't know, because the film she makes, weird things happen in the films she ends up making. Right, uh, Things that no special effects can account for, because she just can't afford to put them in there. So right. you're told right off the bat that uh, she doesn't have these special effects in her films. Yet there are special effects in her films. And you're led to believe it's either um the camera itself... Because Mm -hmm. it is like, you know, a weird cursed camera, or it comes across as that. Right. Or, and and this is where um, you kind of have to have a little bit of insider knowledge Mm -hmm. when reading this. Um, She and Cece have been exposed to the king in yellow. Right. And, and not, like, last week we were talking about the possibility of it being the actual book, The King in Yellow, the short story collection, or the play, The King in Yellow. This is the, she was exposed to the play. Right. The King in Yellow and the yellow sign.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Itself. Right. And psychoactive substances that um, somehow are in in a synchronicity with these Mysterious things.
0: Mm. Yes. To
1: one degree or another. Right. So, well, like these weird people she hangs out with smoke something that certainly isn't um, tobacco and certainly isn't
0: marijuana. Right. And they drink strange alcoholic beverages. Uh, Do you like the clear one or the brown one? Yeah. So these
1: unnamed substances uh, that it serves to like kind of to the reader um, mm-hmm. just give you like a melange of weird
0: the 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 sequence of uh you know the two types of liquors uh the clear one or the brown one kind of evokes that that uh, neo and morpheus conversation you know the red pill and the blue pill yeah you know if, if she had drank Now, of course, nobody explained this, you know, sat down. She didn't have Lawrence Fishburne sit down and explain it to her. If you drink the clear one, you will see Carcosa in all its glory. If you drink the brown one, you will go back to your normal mundane life. Yes. Nobody explained that to her. She just, you know, being a party kid in the 70s, she just had this, uh, you know, inkling like, well, you know, clear liquor is usually a little bit safer. Right. (laughs) (laughs)
1: right now uh up until this point uh it's pretty straightforward Mm -hmm. um i will say that it does take a little bit of familiarity with the king and yellow mythology right um to get kind of some of the concepts i think
0: Right. And, and when, when you say King and Yellow mythology, really it's the first five stories of Robert Chambers collection. You don't really have to be well read in anything and everything involving Haster, the King and Yellow. If you've, if you've read Chambers, you'll see what's going, you'll see the path that's laid out before them uh, much easier. If you're not familiar with the King and Yellow that it it might take a little bit of of well, doing.
1: Yeah, I think I think unfortunate. It's unfortunate uh, because I think that these these books should stand on their own mm-hmm. uh, without having to have done um, prior reading, right? Unless it's a series, obviously. Right. Um, so I think you do uh, your readers a disservice requiring them to have Cane uh, Yellow. Uh, familiarity right unfortunately i have that so i was able to enjoy it i'm just just to me and the other side of that coin is i can't say that i haven't read it so i don't know what the experience of a reader who has not read and is not familiar with chambers um what they would get out of it and how difficult it would be um because i've read it it, it does that weird fiction thing where you have this it, dread builds up throughout the course of the novel because I'm familiar with the king in yellow and because I know what's coming, mm-hmm. you know, or I have a good idea of what the possibilities right <laughs> spread out before these characters are going to be.
0: Well, I think, I think it's the, the name dropping is enough. Uh, Houser does put enough worms on hooks, uh, to, to, you know, hook the reader, bring them along into this nightmarish world, um, and possibly, you know, lead them back to checking into Chambers, uh, and, and reading that particular story collection to, uh, appreciate the book a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I guess it's hard to tell that if you're not familiar with Chambers, are you going to have, um... A similar experience than if you are. Mm-hmm. Do, you see, do you see what I'm saying? Yes, um, because because you and I both are familiar with with Chambers and the King and Yellow. Um, we read that, and our minds go into the King and Yellow,
0: right? You know, like right. We've mode. we've visited the shores of Carcosa. We right. Know. We've seen the yellow sign. Yada yada yada. Yeah, <laughs> I've got <laughs> one got- right here on a coin. We got the stamp on the passport. I mean, you know, we've been there. You know, we've surfed the cloud waves, right? Exactly. We've got two black suns. Yeah, we've gotten our Lake, two suntan, Lake Holly, all that,
1: well, all that, that great stuff. stuff.
0: Um, all of which gets gets you know put out, and and really, it's the the king and yellow stuff is is put in here. But it's almost as as kind of an afterthought. It's not the f- first and foremost thing on Cece's mind as she's relaying the the story of her time with Tina Mori to us. No, it's um,
1: true. It, it's definitely like the background radiation of the story, mm-hmm. and the story itself. Um, as as you like, you know, as events happen, and um, Tina Mori becomes a more accomplished filmmaker. And you know the, their relationship goes through strains and um, reconciliations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an interesting story, and I and I liked, I enjoyed reading the story. You know, for the story, mm-hmm. it's just the the king and yellow part is enjoyable, but it's not anything. Uh, Deviant, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's... It's definitely not as, as decadent as uh, we're kind of led to believe that uh, Tina and CeCe's lifestyle would have been. Um, <clears throat> it's almost like CC goes to... As, as close as you can get to being straight-edge without... You know completely stopping taking substances
1: right it's 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 instead of like the artist community of paris mm-hmm. which is um the the uh, original kind of thing you get like this um bohemian like hippie style living in new york city
0: Right. Well, you kinda it's kind of right there on the border between the, the the Bohemian hippie style Soho stuff and then the the early punk rock scene.
1: Yeah. Kind of that which, crossover. Which overlapped
0: a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so so you've got, you know, mentions of artists like Warhol and and things like that. So you have that kind of where where those two crowds interlaced right
1: you can almost see him see them having uh, gone to cbgb's
0: mm. to see television or something right exactly and 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 you know it's like uh you know walking down the street and somebody's you know blasting donna summer and they go disco sucks right <laughs> so so
1: you you get these parallels it's definitely like um counterculture yeah you
0: know, but like artsy counterculture it's it's the underground as as opposed Man. to like political counterculture right but it's it's the underground yeah. um it's it's the artistic underground so you have you know Tina Mori in this kind of guerrilla filmmaking school where you know she is you know trying to purify her vision, learn the craft, purify her vision and, and make sure that what she wants and what she sees, uh, is what goes onto the screen and figuring out how to do it. Uh, very do it yourself kind of mentality. Uh, mm-hmm. they beat a bunch of folks in a squat, uh, basically a burned out apartment building that they've claimed an entire floor, knocked out the walls. Yeah. In alphabet city. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and they're using part of that building as like sets for these, for these like avant-garde, you know, underground type productions.
1: Actually, if you want to get a really good, um, just like a a feel of what the setting is like, listen to Lou Reed's album, New York. Mm -hmm. Cause that kind of encapsulate, uh, encapsulates that kind of scene.
0: Right. Right on. Solid. There you go. Just to put it in perspective. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's good idea. Good idea. Use that album as this kind of the soundtrack to this. You know, you can for the for the introduction, you could probably throw on some like L7 or something, and then switch over to that Lou Reed album for this part of the book. Right.
1: Now, uh the the other thing that happens is people who are involved with uh with uh, Maury you tend to end up dead.
2: <laughs>
1: and th- it's very clever um, that the people who end up dying are people involved with the films, people involved with her life in the films. And you don't know whether it is um, a curse of, of her, her filmmaking
0: mm-hmm.
1: or, you know, it's just like... Uh, coincidence it's not coincidence but it could be coincidence cc seems to think it is except for one right um but yeah a lot of people uh who she gets involved with end up dying
0: right except for cc
1: right except for cc cc does not die
0: and you know we're gonna kind of leave that one hanging right there because you know you can kind of piece together what's going on uh as you read Mm-hmm. and you notice that these these events Tina mori you know being that guy quote unquote even though she's not a guy right uh is the center of a maelstrom yes as, as it seems it's like all of this chaos just seems to just surround her and she sweeps it along with her as she just cuts. A a, a swath across these people's lives, Mm -hmm. and it's and she's not, you know, I'm not saying that you know she's sinister or foreboding, she's just kind of like uh, she's kind of like a black cat of sorts,
1: yeah. She's she's um, yeah, she's unlucky. Well, not her herself, but involvement with her, Mm -hmm. it's like throwing the dice, yeah. Uh, Because honestly, I don't believe that her as a character. I don't think she's capable of feeling uh, for anybody, but herself and her art Mm -hmm. and anything else is incidental. Right. Uh, With the exception of maybe CC sometimes.
0: Right. And CC is always there for. Yeah. CC is
1: definitely that stalwart friend that, uh, Thick and thin is there, and goodness knows she has like a thousand reasons not to be involved anymore.
0: And she knows <laughs> she's aware of it, she's she is Dr. Watson.
1: Yeah, we, we were
0: when we discussed Hound <laughs> of the Baskervilles a couple episodes ago. You know, we we talked about the type of character that that John Watson is stalwart and and whatnot. And really, in in this case, m- the memento Mori. Portion of the book, the 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 memoir portion of the book, right. really does kind of read like a a Holmes and Watson story, where Tina Mori is the Holmes. She's she's the genius. She's the the person who's just absolutely amazing to be around. And that's the person that everybody. Uh, and that's the person that with. everybody interacts with. It's the person everybody pays attention to. And yet, the stalwart friend John. Watson, or in this case, CC Wait, is our chronicler uh, who has the capability of, you know, that distance from Tina and the closeness to Tina. Right. So, so we get that that kind of juxtaposition of being close yet far away at the same time. All right. Now, now I would say as my only serious criticism of this book is that truthfully we could have done without the introduction altogether.
1: Uh, yes, either that or have more of a, um, have it being more of a bookend where there's a conclusion that go, a more satisfying conclusion that goes along with each part of the introduction, like parentheses Mm
0: -hmm. on a story. Right. um, you know, it seems to me that that Billy is is Chekhov's riot girl, and <laughs> you know we don't really see her in the final act.
1: No, and and you almost kind of forget about her mm-hmm.
0: until um, you see the uh, the uh, writing of a a post it note that was found on on another yeah. piece of ephemera included toward the end
1: right and even that is kind of just it's not Billy's story is not very satisfying yes you can draw conclusions mm-hmm. to uh what her fate is right it's not really a satisfying part of the story and you're right it, it could either have been uh, just like done away with because the story itself um CC and Tina mori's story mm-hmm. uh, stands on its own right does does not need uh to have an introduction. You don't need an introduction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you could just read it and be a great book.
0: Or or maybe just kind of a blurb about you know who Tina Mori was, you know, in the in the most general way. Yeah. You know, like like most introductions to, to these sorts of books, you know, put together by somebody else, like a foreword or something like yeah, that.
1: Yeah. I, I think I think it kind of it kind of and and it's be- I think it's because Hauser um, inserts himself into the narrative in the beginning mm-hmm. um it kind of lends it to be oh this is a real thing you know right uh, and you know I I read it and I and I started looking up names and places and they weren't coming up and then come to realize that, okay it's just a technique to kind of like get you more involved with believe believing it
0: right right um, now
1: and I, I get that that's cool I just, mm-hmm. it just it it didn't need to be there it was just like, it was a it's a good story
0: right right um this is this is the third book that i've I've read this year that kind of has this kind of nested narrative uh the first of course being the night ocean right um the second being uh uh black leopard red wolf has the it's same type of narrative technique. Right you have not read i'm still in it i'm reading it leisurely um <coughs> and and now memento mori um yeah so so looking at it that way i really kind of felt at the end that i had only gotten half a novel <laughs> um in, in the way that you know it's like okay what happened to billy you know come on tell me more about this investigation <laughs> excuse
1: Frank, me can- well, you're right. What what did happen to Billy? I mean, we kind of know what happened to Billy, but what's the process of it happening to Billy? Because it starts out almost like a detective story uh, about Billy, mm-hmm. but instead, what we get is the story of um, of uh, Lisa Moore, mm-hmm.
0: Tina, Tina. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I read this book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that that is really my only my only criticism of it is that yeah the introduction kind of makes you feel like you you've missed something. I don't know if uh, Hauser is planning on this as being like just a standalone novel or or possibly planning it as part of a larger story arc.
1: Yeah, it could be considering the way the book is titled. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. Um, it is titled Memento Mori colon
0: The fathomless shadows.
1: The fathomless shadows. Right. So, I mean, maybe we'll have memento mori colon. Raya girl.
0: The disappearance of Billy. (laughs) Sorry, Brian.
1: Billy R. R G. Billy R. G.
0: Well, I mean, that's possible. You know, kind of jumping through time, we go through the seventies and then into the eighties. Right. And then you know into the '90s, and that would make sense as as kind of a, a trilogy of sorts. But you know, it's it's I I, I don't, and I think we've discussed this uh, before uh, regarding some other books and series that you know the first book in a series should always stand alone as a complete piece, and, and
1: it it does it does stand
0: alone as a complete piece. It just feels well to, for the most part, for the most part, I think, I think what happens is is the introduction part of the book leaves a loose end that really is only tied up through assumption. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to say whether or not that was, that was handled well. I mean, we, we, of course we talked about river of nights dreaming last time. And, and how so much, so many layers of assumption can be placed upon it. Mm-hmm. But I think you can take River of Night Dreaming at complete face value and without assumptions and boom, 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 boom. And there's no loose ends at the end. Right. Um, but on th- in this case, you know, the story of Billy is a loose end.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's completely a loose end.
0: Right. And so, so you really feel hanging there. Uh, and but the majority of the book the the actual memoir memento mori the book within the book you know yeah there start to finish you know it's it's complete um and then you're kind of slapped in the in the face by the back matter and uh you know we don't want to spoil what's going on there but yeah I do really kind of feel like once you get to the end it's just like you're hanging you know it's almost like a cliffhanger
1: right and you could have had that um that coda on there Mm -hmm. um and have it make sense without having um the whole introduction in there either right um which is is yeah because you get this whole fanzine issue in the beginning Mm -hmm. and it's interesting it's like it's it's a cool story in and of itself right? Um, because you get to piece together um, where Billy was at and what Billy's up to. Right.
0: And what Billy's into. Yeah. Because Billy is into a lot of the same things. She's like that next generation. Right. You know, of, of CC and, and Tina. Yes. So, you know, and that's, and that makes her interesting. and, yeah. And it makes the fact that she f- kind of fell out of the narrative, um, all that much more glaring in yeah. my opinion. But overall, I, overall, I would say this is a, a fun, uh, you know, summer read, read it on the porch, read it on the beach. Um, you know, it's not, you know, not to, to belittle Hauser's skills, but you know, this is, you know, this is not something that you're going to sit there and you're going to go, Huh? When you read it,
1: no, it's not Ulysses.
0: Yeah, right. It's not Uly. Right, exactly. It's not Ulysses. Um, it's not Finnegan's Wake. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's straightforward. And yeah,
1: I'm, but I mean, it's and a it'll, weird, it's a weird tale.
0: Right, and it'll get you caught up, and you'll bounce along, and before you know it, um, you'll be you'll be at the end. And <laughs> and wanting more, and and, and and wanting more, wanting to know what else is going on with with this, these characters, you know, there's there's got to be a part two. Um, and and you know, Hauser Hauser has a good grasp of pacing. There's there's been a couple of times we've read, you know, novels of similar size where you know the author just you know can't get the pacing right.
1: Right, where the middle gets dragged down, right. Where and you don't get that in this book. you're right. Um, it is an interesting read uh, front to back. And the second act doesn't drag and right. there's There's definitely been a number of things we've read where the second act kind of <gasps> drags a little bit and
0: um can use with a dose of adrenaline mm-hmm. and for for a story that is much more, character driven um it's it's it is refreshing to see uh it being well paced yeah Uh, you know particularly because you know there is no you know huge you know moments of horror or whatnot in every single act you know every single scene you know isn't always building up doom and gloom you know there's just some parts of the narrative that are there to Suit a mechanical purpose of telling us, you know, how we got from point A to point B,
1: mm-hmm.
0: for something else to happen, and but even and
1: those aren't boring,
0: right? And and yeah, Hauser Hauser may, manages to make these sequences interesting as well by telling kind of a side story or you know something like that, and yeah. you know, and that section of the book, not an ounce of fat on it, yeah. Uh, uh, Language-wise, Hauser doesn't really mince words. Yeah. Um, the character of Cece uh, is pretty straightforward, you know. Not, but then again, she is a a an academic rather than a an artist, so it would it would uh, fit that her prose and her voice in the in the memoir be more just the facts terse right well i mean not really terse because you know it's not it doesn't feel terse to me um it, but it's not clinical like a, um like a history author <laughs> or, or an yeah. ethnobotanist right. or, or, or an actual ethnobotanist uh, you know, it's wow. someone who's trying it's more it's more written in a journalistic style right uh you know like a like a almost almost kind of hunter thompsony with less drug use uh you know hauser manages to make cc a reliable narrator
1: yeah the, the drug use i mean we mentioned that earlier is kind of um mostly incidental right it's it's mostly social lubricant um, obviously there's the, there's the, um, the red pill or, you know, clear drink, brown drink thing mm-hmm. and the mysterious, um, substance that's being smoked. Um, but just in terms of just regular drug use, you know, it, it's really just like social lubricant for the right. most part. And even that, even those instances are kind of passed off as social lubricant, you know, cause they're in, in party situations
0: right right and cc goes as far as to you know turning down certain social lubricants because you know she's like you know i don't that's not what i want to do today right and and as such that makes her a reliable narrator um although it might have been interesting if a section of this book had been you know we were 6 miles outside of barstow when the drugs <laughs> began to take hold <laughs> I kinda,
1: if they got, got um attacked by bats in the desert.
0: Well, no, I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't have gone quite that far, but you know, there kinda was a sequence similar to that.
1: That's true. Um, well, there was definitely something that was somewhat hallucinatory, but not really.
0: Right. Not not completely batshit insane. Um, you know, it has it has a very uh, almost clinical, you know, afterthought kind of description to the way to the way this goes on rather than uh some something like fear and loathing where you know the dude's got a tape recorder and he's just recording it as it's happening. Right. So yeah. Could have gone either way. Yeah. And and I think both both ways would have made for an entertaining sequence. Mm -hmm. But I think uh it might have changed, you know, to go to go that kind of fear and loathing route with it would have changed it more to more comedic, possibly, than the more direction that it went.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. It, it, I think it would have taken away. Right. From the narrative as opposed to added to it.
0: Right. Because even Carlos Castaneda, speaking of fake ethnobiologists ethnobotanist Uh, (laughs) um, his sequences when he's partaking of the well in the case of Don Juan they were kind of social lubricants as well uh, for his own special type of socializing but they all they take on a comedic tone and you know you can't really use that here you have to go something a little more bizarre but still grounded right and and hauser does that pretty well so overall uh i would say check it out now uh, you can get it from word horde uh, i presume you can also get it on amazon we'll have a link in the description
1: um you can pre-order it well as of
0: as of recording time pre-order it,
1: yeah pre-order it for tomorrow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as of when this comes out So yeah, ignore me.
0: I'm I'm blaming it on the hunger. The hunger. It's (laughs) that's right. So it's dinner time for those of us that microphones of madness. And with that said, keep 30 luck points. Yes. Oh, god damn it.